It's Monday, December 23rd. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Listeners, we asked and you answered. What was the most complicated story of 2019? Come with us and we will get Brexit done. Heartily sick of the Brexit nightmare. Absolutely no agreement about what Brexit meant. Keep calm and carry on. Your skim on Brexit is about to begin. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. So first, what is Brexit? To get into that, we have to go back a few years. The United Kingdom has been a member of the European Union since 1973. But even since the beginning, there's always been a bit of Euroscepticism. A lot of people didn't want to be a part of the European Union. They didn't like the EU encroaching on how the UK operates. One of the big issues was over immigration. EU member countries have open borders, which means citizens can move freely between countries, get new jobs, and move on in. But some people felt that the influx of Europeans into the UK made it harder for people in the UK to get jobs. In January 2013, British Prime Minister David Cameron proposed a referendum on whether the UK should leave the EU. He was a member of the Conservative Party and was against Brexit. But he had been feeling the pressure from within his own party, as well as another right-wing party that was gaining a lot of popularity, called the UK Independence Party, or UKIP. So Cameron promised that if he were re-elected for a second term, the UK would hold this referendum to decide if the country should remain in the EU. The referendum was basically a non-legally binding vote to get a good read on how people felt about the issue. After Cameron was re-elected, he said, all systems go. Here was then leader of UKIP, Nigel Farage, the day before the vote. Tomorrow we can vote for real change. Tomorrow we can vote to put power back in the hands of people. We can vote to take control of our country back. And when UK citizens headed to the polls, 52% voted to leave and only 48% voted to remain. And the whole world, including people in the UK who voted to leave, we're kind of shocked that this was actually happening. After the results, Prime Minister David Cameron, who had campaigned for the UK to remain, actually stepped down. He said someone else should lead the UK through this divorce. It has been the greatest honor of my life to serve our country as Prime Minister over these last six years and to serve as leader of my party for almost 11 years. That's when fellow Conservative Partier Theresa May rose her hand to say, I'm up for the challenge. I think it's in the interests of both the United Kingdom and the European Union that we're able to see a smooth and orderly process of negotiation leading to a smooth and orderly exit for the UK. May said she'd work with both the UK Parliament and the EU to see a Brexit deal through to the finish. A Brexit deal was important because a lot of people were worried about what would happen if the UK and EU didn't agree to the same terms. After years of free and open borders, there were warnings about food shortages, the country running out of imported medicine, and all kinds of holdups at customs checks along the borders and at airports. Divorces can be messy. The UK had been tied up with the EU for literally decades, so you can't really just pack up your stuff and leave. So in 2017, Theresa May invoked Article 50. That's the special clause that lets EU members say they want to leave the union. After that, 
she had two years to negotiate a complicated divorce plan with EU officials. And about a year ago, with the deadline getting close, she started bringing those deals to members of the UK Parliament, or MPs, to get their approval. But lawmakers didn't approve. Brexit may have won the vote in 2016, but now lawmakers weren't happy with how it was going down. May brought three deals to the table, and MPs said no to all three. The third time around, in March, MPs voted no on eight different Brexit plans. Once again, we have been unable to support leaving the European Union in an orderly fashion. She couldn't get them on board. She got an extension to her two-year deadline. But in May, Theresa May announced that she would step down. It is and will always remain a matter of deep regret to me that I have not been able to deliver Brexit. It will be for my successor to seek a way forward that honors the result of the referendum. That successor was Boris Johnson. He was basically one of the faces of the Leave campaign back in the day, and he wanted Brexit so badly that he was willing to leave the EU without a deal, which scared a lot of people, because no deal basically meant no rules. Johnson took office in July, three months before the new Halloween deadline for the UK to finally leave the EU. His first big move was in August, when he made a special request of the Queen to suspend Parliament. That meant all the MPs would go on a break for about a month and get back with just a couple of weeks to debate whatever Brexit deal Johnson brought to the table. That's obviously not a lot of time, and MPs weren't happy. Here's Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the opposition Labour Party. What the Prime Minister is doing is a sort of smash and grab on our democracy in order to force through a no-deal exit from the European Union. What's he so afraid of that he needs to suspend Parliament to prevent Parliament discussing these matters? When the Queen signed off on the move, MPs decided to sign off on something too. They got together and agreed to take legislative control away from Johnson. Basically, a massive, we're the captains now. Then, they agreed that a no-deal Brexit couldn't happen. And with that in place, Parliament went on suspension. MPs went home to their districts, and Johnson went off to work on a new Brexit deal. But he got hit with another blow. The UK Supreme Court ruled that Johnson had broken the law by calling for that suspension. Because it had the effect of frustrating or preventing the ability of Parliament to carry out its constitutional functions without reasonable justification. So Johnson got a slap on the wrist. But when Parliament got back in session, he was ready to fight. And he got a new deal. Even though his Brexit deal wasn't that different from Theresa May's, MPs finally started to get on board. And thanks to an agreement with the EU, they now have until January 31st to flesh out the details to leave. But to make sure Brexit actually happens, Johnson introduced a twist and called for general elections. MPs were against it at first, but then they got on board for very different reasons. Johnson's conservatives wanted new elections. To make a point, that despite the fact that Brexit was taking forever, the British people still wanted it to get done. He bet that voters would give Brexit another two thumbs up and give conservatives an even stronger majority. Meanwhile, the opposition Labour Party thought an election victory could help them. If they took over Parliament, they could craft a Brexit deal more to their liking. Or put the whole Brexit question back to the people in a second Brexit referendum. On December 12th, Brits who just wanted Brexit over with handed the Conservatives a big victory. The Conservatives now have more power than they've had since the 1980s under Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. You might remember she was played by Meryl Streep in The Iron Lady. Thatcher got stuff done. 
And now, Boris Johnson thinks he can get stuff done, too. Like reforms to the national health system, or major decisions on nuclear weapons policy and climate change. And of course, Brexit. Here he was the morning after the election. We will get Brexit done on time by the 31st of January. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. Britain's currency and its financial markets were happy to hear it. They both jumped at the prospect that Brexit might finally get done, in part because it meant all the confusion was over. Johnson got down in business on Brexit after the election. On Friday, he had the House of Commons take a vote on his Brexit bill, and it passed by a large margin. Turns out, it helped that the election put a lot more conservative Brexit allies into Parliament earlier this month. There's still a little more work to be done after New Year's, but Brexit seems on track for January 31st, when its transition period will begin. It's like a conscious uncoupling, and would last for at least 11 months. As it stands, New Year's Eve 2021, meaning just about a year from now, will be the last day Britain spends in the EU. Until then, it gets to benefit from EU trade deals and has to follow EU regulations, as it starts working to replace them with its own deals and regulations. It's kind of like living with your parents for a bit as you figure out your life. Though problems can come up, the kinds of huge trade deals Britain would need to negotiate in months usually take years. And even once those are done, there are tons of additional laws and rules. Everything from fishing regulations to foreign policy agreements that the UK needs to work out. So as we turn the page on 2019, something worth watching in 2020 is whether the Brexit transition period provides enough time to get everything done. Boris Johnson says 11 months is plenty, while EU leaders say this is barely enough time for a bare-bones trade deal, and they're ready to extend the transition if Britain needs more time. But a more profound dynamic to watch is how open Britain chooses to be after its EU breakup. For decades, EU citizens were able to live and work in the UK, which made the UK feel like part of mainland Europe. After all, one of the EU's goals was to make borders less restrictive. But soon, Britain will once again be an island and able to set its own immigration and foreign policy, and make new rules about which countries to trade with or who it considers friends. That could affect how strong and united Europe remains in the face of other global forces, as non-democratic powers like China continue to rise. Turns out, Britain will leave a linguistic legacy on the future EU. After Brexit, just two EU countries, Ireland and the island of Malta, will have English as their official language. And even though those two countries will represent just 1% of the EU population, the EU said, we're keeping English as one of our three working languages. Meaning, if Brits want to follow the life of their EU ex post-Brexit, it won't be too difficult. So what's the skim? Over three years after UK voters told the government they want to leave the EU, the country may be on the verge of making it happen. There's still a lot of questions up in the air about what the pre-divorce separation period will look like and how the UK Brexiting will affect the rest of the EU. But rest assured, you'll be hearing about the long goodbye well into 2020. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks for listening and be sure to hit subscribe. We'd also love for you to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We're turning on our out of office for the holiday, but we'll be back in your ears on Friday. In the meantime, for more Skim, sign up for our free morning newsletter, The Daily Skim. 
right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.